There we go. Is that right? Yes, it's recording. Okay. So, obedience, the great vow, joy, the great character of our order, and finally, the chief mission. Why St. Dominic called us together as a family to be preachers. And who can tell me the essential words? If you cannot say these words, you cannot be a preacher. Five words. I have seen the Lord. The first preacher of the resurrection, St. Mary Magdalene. I have seen the Lord. If we can't say those, we can't preach. There has to be an encounter with Christ. Whether it is in the sacraments, whether it is through our prayer life, in some way, we must encounter Christ before we can preach Christ. Now, has anyone ever accused you of being Jesus? I'm not lying. I'm not, you know, I'm not being facetious here. You know, I'm not saying, has anyone ever you know, said, oh, who do you think you are? Jesus Christ? In a condescending way? Has anyone ever actually accused you of being Christ? When I was a child... Um, one of my uh, friends in our catechism class, she was probably five or six. She was at a grocery store with her mother. She got away from her, and her mother looked for her. Suddenly, here comes my friend Jesse back around the corner, and she says, Mom! Mom! She says, What, sweetie? God's here! And she says, Sweetie? She says, God's in the store! Okay. And so she takes her by the hand and they walk around the corner and her mother looks very embarrassed and says, Oh, hi, Father. How are you? <laughs> and it's a, a cute story. But it's very telling that for, for this priest who was you know, very kind to us as children, who always made himself available, who was so approachable, he, you know, confused us. And of course it makes sense when you're that age, you know, when, you know, a priest is at the altar and he says, you know, do this in memory of me. You think, yes, Father. You know, I mean, he's acting in persona Christi. Of course. But we're all called to be Christ in our actions. You know, Christ, the Word, anointed one. You know, there is only one Jesus Christ. There will ever only be one eternally begotten Son of the Father. But He has anointed us each as priest, prophet, and king to go forth in His name and bring His message to the world. You know, we often hear the term, what would Jesus do? Uh, my spiritual director in seminary, Father Harry Byrne, a Dominican of our uh, Chicago province, province of St. Albert the Great, he said one day, well, you know, I think that's really the wrong question. What would Jesus do? He says, because I am not Jesus. He said, perhaps the better question is, what would I do if I were Christ? 
Because in fact, that is where we all, you know, that's where the rubber hits the road. Now for all his goodness, again, that priest that I knew as a child was not Jesus, but he was for me, especially at that point in my life, an image of Christ. Notice in the Gospels, early on, John the Baptist is confused for Jesus. I mentioned earlier that of all the people in the world, the two greatest lovers of God were Mary, our mother, and John the Baptist. Mary in her life, John in his death. They gave everything they were to the kingdom of God. John, early on, the people, if you read especially uh, St. John's Gospel, that whole prologue, you know, it seems like it goes into a lot of tongue twisters about who the Word is and the light coming into the world. And John came to testify to the light, but he was not the light. Because people in the early church were getting confused about, you know, this person. Think about it. You're living out in the vast expanse of the Mediterranean world. You hear about this great preacher in Galilee. Oh, you mean that guy John the Baptist? Didn't Herod or whoever was you know, there at the time, didn't he kill him? No, no, not him. The other guy who came after him. Who? Jesus. Well, I haven't heard about him. And so John, the evangelist in his gospel, clarifies and says, Listen, you need to know who this Jesus Christ is. You need to know who John the Baptist was as well, because that's important to the story. But don't forget who Christ is. And John was always very quick to point out, I am not he. He is coming after me, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandal. And even when Jesus comes to him, he says, You know, no, not, not I, Lord. I, you, you should be baptizing me. And he says, No. Our Lord says, I must be baptized by you to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, I must be baptized by you so that the waters of baptism will be made pure by my presence. Again, John the Baptist has a clear sense of his vocation to introduce others to Christ. As Dominicans, as preachers of the gospel, we too must introduce others to Christ. Now, there's going to be a little mix of us in there. That's fine. It happens. You know, I don't think any evangelization takes place in a sterile environment. People are going to see in you that joy we talked about, that faith. They're going to see your good works. And they're going to say to you, well, I want whatever, you know, whatever it is you've got. I want to go to the church you go to. That's all fine and well and good, but that's not the end. You know, we're not called to create cults of personality. We're called to create disciples for Christ. To bring people into that same level of relationship that we enjoy. That's what Dominic worked for. Notice that we don't have any of his writings. We have precious few. We have a few excerpts here and there. We have some accounts of his life. But in the end of his life, Dominic destroyed his 
writings, most of what he had, because he didn't want people to get his experience of the gospel, his experience of vocation, mixed up with theirs. And I think that is one of the great things that has allowed us as a Dominican family to grow as diverse as we have over the centuries, so that we're not you know, one-hit wonders. We're made up of legal professionals, doctors, teachers, social workers. So many areas in our lives connect to the gospel because the gospel connects to so many aspects of our world. We're living in this dubious place in our world where, well, I have my, my secular, I have what I do in my profession, I have what I do here, and in the privacy of my home and church, I live out my faith. But it's not going to, you know, impose itself on you. You know, because, uh, you know, you, you have, I'm not saying you, obviously, you know, but you encounter people who, well, we have our understanding of the truth and you have your understanding of the truth. Okay, my understanding of the truth doesn't tell you the truth. All it tells you is how I interpret the world around me. It doesn't actually tell you the truth. Cardinal Arenze, uh, Francis Cardinal Arenze, years ago said in a, in a talk, um, imagine you're a math teacher and two students solve a problem and bring it to you. And one's right and one's wrong. Would you say, oh, well, this one is right based on how you have interpreted the equation, and this one is right based on how you interpreted the equation. You go with your interpretation, and I'll go with mine. Well, no. Truth is truth. There's an answer. That is where we as Dominicans say we adhere to and hold the truth. It's not open to, you know, debate. The truth is that there is one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. There is one truth that we are baptized. There is one truth that we go forth from this place to preach the truth that He is indeed resurrected from the dead, seated at the hand of the Father, and intercedes for us. We preach that truth. For John the Baptist, there was a truth. The truth that the God of salvation is coming into the world. And he preached that fearlessly. He did that with not only his life, but in the way he died. John was not an easy man to listen to, and I'm sure he was not a great and easy master to follow. If I had to choose being a disciple of John the Baptist or being a disciple of Jesus, I think I'd choose being a disciple of Jesus any day. Jesus even mentioned so. He says, well, when John was among you, you called him, you know, uh, crazy. You know, and, and you said to me, Jesus, I, you know, I, I'm a drunkard and a glutton. And I hang out with sinners and tax collectors. Well, it seems like Jesus kind of had the, you know, the easy path to follow, if you will. But not so. Because Jesus never entered anyone's life leaving them the same way he found them. He always left them better. You know, when Jesus encounters, you know, the woman at the well, he doesn't leave her at the well. He doesn't just say, oh, well, you know, I know you've been married five times before, and 
that's okay. And the, the man you're living with now, you know, well, that is yeah, not really your heart. That's okay. No, she woke up. He gave her enough that she stood up and said, Wow, you know me. And you're still calling me. Well, now I'm going to go call others. We should be doing the same. Maybe I haven't gotten my life perfect yet. I know I don't have my life perfect yet. But it doesn't stop me, you know, from picking up myself by my bootstraps and going into the world and proclaiming the good news. One of John's greatest uh, scandals in the Gospels is when he's calling out to the Pharisees. This is funny. In Matthew's Gospel, he speaks to the Pharisees and says, you know, you hypocrites, who warned you? This was scandalous for many reasons. One, we think of Pharisees as being, you know, kind of these holier-than-thou, self-righteous. Well, maybe they were, but not to the people in Israel of that day. They would see a Pharisee as kind of like, you know, that, that, that sweet, you know, Jesuit confessor who's a little deaf in one ear, nice old man, not too harsh on you. And so for John the Baptist to start calling them out as, you know, hypocrites, that was scandalous, that was harsh. And to make matters worse, you skip away from Matthew and go over to Luke. The crowds who came out to be baptized came before John and he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruits as evidence of your repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, God has the power to take away the very heritage He's given us. And He has the power to take away everything from those who do not appreciate God's gifts and give it to those who will use them. That was the great tragedy. If you look at the whole of Scripture, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, the great tragedy of peoples there is that God came to His own. He wanted the people of Israel to be His light to the nations, to bear good fruit, to proclaim Him. But his own people rejected him. And so he says, fine, I will take this away from you. And I will give it to those Gentiles, those pagans. That's, that's you and me. He will give that to us to do what's right with it. And down through the generations, we have tried our best to be that light to the nations. Now when John calls these sinners a brood of vipers, poisonous snakes, he goes on when they say, well, gee, how can we be redeemed? What can we do? And he says, well, give what excess you have to the poor. Don't extort. Be just. 
These are very important things for us to remember. John the Baptist as a preacher was concerned not just for sins against God, but sins against the poor, the oppressed, victims of any social injustice. Now that can get manipulated. I mean, that, that is a hot button issue to talk about social justice and what that means. You know, um, secular society, secular media, and even some good intending Catholics who may not quite know what they're talking about want to take social justice and strong arm it. Okay? What is social justice? True social justice is establishing a good, ordered, healthy society. Part of that is working for the common good. What is the common good? Anybody want to venture a, a, a kind of a textbook phrase, common good? Okay. The common good. And I'll say this too. When I used to hear that phrase years ago, I kind of thought, you know, least common denominator or highest common factor for those who actually know addition, multiplication, subtraction, division. Um, the common good. All those elements in society that come together for human flourishing. Now it makes more sense. For human flourishing. So, if we are looking for the common good, and we talk about being, you know, pro-choice, but where is the human flourishing in a society that opts for the destruction of one human life to free another? Free another. If we talk about human flourishing, how do we contend with a society that can handle prisons but still relies on capital punishment without any scrutiny? If we're talking about human flourishing, how do we address the poor in our society in such a way that we truly do what is good for them? Now, I live in downtown Memphis. It's very difficult. There are a lot of street people, as we call them. That's the, that's the jargon we use now. They're, they're street people. And I said, well, no, they're poor. Some of them are destitute. It's a moral choice every day. Who do I help and how? Well, human flourishing, I don't just give anybody and everybody cash in the street and hope that they don't go spend it on whatever the imagination fancies. No. It means realizing that Jesus gave us a commission. Go out and clothe the naked, feed the poor. Jesus didn't have the benefit of Catholic charities. You know, there was no um, habitat for humanity in Jesus' day. He was a carpenter. He had to build a house if he wanted it. Being socially just, being preachers of justice, doesn't necessarily mean that we, you know, go out, strike out on our own. No, it means how do we work as church? How do we work as a community? How do we provide programs for people less fortunate? things and resources, systems that allow them to actually grow as you and I have grown. It's very important. Being a preacher also means, 
as I said, preaching the truth. Now, if one of you has a child who is behaving in uh, a bad way, maybe he or she is doing something immoral, something harmful, would you not speak out and say, hey, this is a bad thing? I hope. Okay. Preaching the, preaching the truth of the gospel to those who have gone astray is just as important. But we do it, again, out of love. We preach the truth of the gospel because we love our neighbor and want them to thrive and to understand the faith as we do. It can be hard. Not all truth is easy to hear and easy to swallow, but the truth is good for us. The truth sets us free. You know, what, uh, what is you know, the, the, the best way to free someone is to help them make decisions that are good for them. To help someone to choose the good. What is the moral decision? What does our conscience tell us? Do the good, avoid the bad. See, I love these little Thomistic things. Do the good, avoid the bad. That's what living a moral life, that's a moral decision. We help others to do good and avoid bad. So we must be not only in solidarity with those who are less fortunate. We must be in solidarity. Have you ever considered yourself being, it's going to sound odd, in solidarity with a sinner? I don't mean that you fall into the sin by any means. But it means that we see ourselves, we see everyone we encounter as another child of God who is not as fortunate. I was at the Union Mission in downtown Memphis a few days ago, uh, last week actually, and the director of the center, he said, you know, there are three things missing from the lives of many of these clients who stay at this mission. No family, no education, no faith community. That's very telling. No family, no education, no faith community. Well, it's hard to provide a family for someone who doesn't have a family once they're of a certain age. I mean, there's certain things we learn as children from mother and father. There's certain things we learn living in a healthy family from our siblings even. You know, like St. John Paul II said, what is the greatest gift you can give your child? A brother or a sister. You know, the greatest gift we can give our children are siblings. People to love as Christ loves us. It's hard to replace that if someone's never had it. But we can provide faith. Faith community. We can provide education. That's part of what being a good preacher is as well. A good preacher also, as I said, we're Dominicans. You know, Albert the Great had the benefit of being a bishop as well as being a scientist. So, of course, part of his vocation involved the sanctifying office of the church. He was a bishop. He, he had authority. Not everybody has that authority. But he also had a vocation as a scientist, and he used it. How? 
He brought his knowledge of the world and his knowledge of the faith and he connected the dots for others. That was as relevant in his day as it is now 800 years later. Especially in a world where science and reason aren't necessarily connected the way they used to be. I mean, science just kind of keeps spiraling on. We keep having more and more experiments. You know, I can change the you know, uh, gene sequencing of my child now if I don't like the way he or she's going to look. Isn't that scary? I can now create man in my image. Frightening. It takes... Very frightening. It takes someone like Albert, a man of faith, to come together and say, well, wait a minute. There's still dignity in that human person, and there are still certain things that just because we can do them doesn't mean we should. You know, God doesn't set limits to human ingenuity, but He also gives us the conscience to know right from wrong. That's one example. But I'm sure each one of you can think in your own lives of a situation you've been in. It was very real critical and your faith helped you make a decision you know I remember the first time I was hearing confessions of newly ordained and of course downtown Memphis and when people come to you and actually say father I don't know if I handed down a just verdict for this person today what am I supposed to say I, how do I respond to that as your confessor but you see, people do, every day, face moral decisions. And the more difficult the moral decision is, I think the better in some cases, because it means they're actually thinking, you know? We're engaging the world with our faith. Moving on. In the middle of our preaching, in the middle of our faith, again we go back to that certain joy. You know, why is it that we preach? Hopefully it's coming out of our joy in, in God. You know, why is it that the fire and brimstone preacher only lasts a while? You know, after a while you've heard all of his homilies, after a while you've gone through the cycle. Well, there's no joy. There's no, you know, there's no buy-in, if you will. How will they know we are Christians? By our joy. By our enduring. By our also putting all the pieces of our life together. Now, I would like to turn to a letter from the Master of the Order, uh, Father Damien Byrne. This was back in 1987. So we're talking 19 years ago. Uh, no, I'm sorry. 29 years ago. And I think it's still as relevant today. Uh, the heart of the Dominican charism, Father Byrne said, must be found in preaching. This is the primary concern of the Dominican project. The Dominican family is called to be 
a community of preaching in which its members are active and co-responsible. Friars, sisters, and laity with diversified ministries and charisms. Like every ecclesial document, it's got to be unpacked a little bit. Friars, sisters, and laity with diversified ministries and charisms. Let us not think that preaching must only be done from the ambo. Preaching is now possible on a global level to each one of us. But we have to take things that we may not necessarily think are useful and put them to good use. I mean, if you consider, let's consider sin, sinful things. Um, if I murder someone, does any good come from that? I mean, I'm not, it's not a trick question. If I murder someone, is that good? No. No. Okay. Can God make something good out of it? Yes. The greatest sin, the greatest scandal in history, man's inhumanity toward man, the cross, the killing of the most innocent man to ever live, who will ever walk the face of this earth. Yet God brought our salvation out of that. God took our greatest act of hatred and turned it into his greatest expression of love. Now, that sets the bar pretty high. Let's take it back down a notch. The internet, social media, a great avenue for sin. Terrible, terrible things. And I'm not just talking about, you know, uh, pornography or, you know, other things that objectify human beings. I'm talking about, I can type something slanderous against somebody I don't like. Um, I can put down on others. I can spread falsehoods. I can do so many terrible things. But there's also avenues for a lot of good. How often do we use our Facebook page, our blogs, our email, to send inspiring messages, to build people up in hope, to spread the good news. It doesn't take much. Public forums. We're all engaged in public life some kind of way. Do we take the opportunities we have to engage our community? Now, I don't necessarily have to walk up and say, you know, I am Father Augustine de Armand, I'm the pastor of St. Peter, and I am now arguing that we have to, you know, fill in whatever issue it is. No, I can simply say, I'm concerned about the status of education in our community. And I want to make sure that every child has an opportunity to get a good education and to have a safe activity after school. We can put our morals, our ethics, our faith into practice without necessarily being preachy. Let's just remember too, we don't have an ego to maintain. We don't have to worry about upholding the image. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. The church is the church. It is 
the body of Christ on earth. God's order for the universe is that salvation come through the church and we be members of the church. So we can take a deep breath. It is God's will. It is good. So we don't have to worry about putting all of our eggs in one basket. We can say sometimes from behind the scenes, well, I'm, I'm a conscientious citizen and I want to make sure that before women have to turn towards the horror of abortion, they have you know, the help they need, the support from my community. Because you know what? I care about human life. Now see, I haven't gone in strictly and said, I am a Christian and I demand it. I've said it very simply. Human life is valuable, good for our community. Let's preserve it. Then, once you build up that a common ground like St. Dominic did, you build up that commonality and say, this is good, we agree. Now, let me tell you why I agree. And there's room for evangelization. Ultimately, as preachers, again, I go back to those five words. We, we, yeah, we're church. We have seen the Lord. Mary Magdalene said, I have seen the Lord. We should all be able to, to confess that. But we want to do it with integrity. How do you do that? Have you encountered Christ? If it's been a while, take this Lenten season as a time to, to re-engage Him. To let Him re-engage you. When you encounter your brothers and sisters, look for Christ in them. In the sacraments, embrace Christ in them. Let the God of love move in you. Let the words you speak be Jesus' words to others. In the end, again, you're going to have a little mixture of yourself, a little of your own personal flavor, you know, you're going to leave this place and remember Father Augie saying a few funny things and, you know, a couple of points he made. But I'm hoping, here's a challenge, I'm hoping you will plagiarize me. I'm hoping you will take my work and make it your own. I'm hoping that if something has resonated with you, you will take that and run with it for the good of preaching the gospel. You know, as, as Shakespeare said, to plagiarize, or to steal from one person's plagiarism, to steal from everybody, that's genius. You know, take from the resources the church has to offer and use them. But evangelization doesn't happen from content alone. It comes from context. It comes from me engaging my faith, engaging my studies of our traditions and bringing that into the world where I live and speaking it to people so that they will comprehend speaking that it's relevant the first rule of a good preacher so I mentioned the five words that are essential I have seen the Lord the first rule of any preacher preacher preach first to yourself if I don't hear something in my own preaching why the heck do I expect anybody else to? Make sense? Good. 
Well, I will end there and give people a time. I'm not sure what our next uh, move is. If it's a reflection or are we getting ready for mass? I'm not sure. It's a rehearsal. It's a rehearsal. Okay. Confessions continue. Well, you know where I will be. Uh, or do I need to be here for the rehearsal? We'll find out. Okay. Well, just follow the rubric. Say the black, do the red. Yes, that's right. <laughs> well, thank you all very much. I have enjoyed this. And... Uh, And I look forward to celebrating the great sacrament of the Eucharist with you and um, celebrating with you also final profession. So, do you know how to turn this off? <laughs> Easy.